Hey everyone, I'm Alan Schimmel, CEO of MediaOps, DevOps.com, Container Journal, Security Boulevard, and you're watching DevOps Unbound. DevOps Unbound is sponsored by our friends at Tricentis, so many thanks to them. And uh, DevOps Unbound is a bi-weekly show where we cover topics of interest to the DevOps audience. Um, I am the host, my co-host is our CTO and CEO, of Accelerated Strategies Group, my friend Mitchell Ashley. Mitchell, welcome. Thank you. Good to be here, as always, and with this illustrious panel. Absolutely. And an illustrious panel it is. We have two panel members joining Mitchell and I today. Let me introduce you to both of them. They're both great, great folks in their own right, and I'm going to let them tell, introduce themselves. Let's start with our friend Judith Herowitz. Judith, welcome to DevOps Unbound. Thank you so much, Alan. It's a, a pleasure and honor to be here. So I'm Our uh, Judith Hurwitz. I'm the co-author of 10 books, um, have been in the industry for 30 plus years, focus on everything from DevOps, security, manageability in cloud, hybrid cloud, and, and really looking at how you take technology to transform organizations. It's a complex topic, not easy, but it's it's uh, what we're in the middle of. Absolutely. Then last, but certainly not least, my friend Brian Dawson. Hey, Brian, welcome. Hey, Alan, thank you. Good to be on with you again. Uh, to tell the audience a bit about myself, um, as I've told you before, Alan, uh, I've been in software development and delivery for about 30 years. I consider myself a technologist. And, and even prior to focusing on DevOps, I've had a focus on optimizing software development and delivery. Excited to talk about AI. I kind of dabbled and, 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 and dipped my toes in the space in my time that I spent at the company that is now PlayStation. Um, things have come a long way since. And during that time, uh, I've spent the past 10 years of my career uh, focused on identifying, applying, and spreading DevOps practices so I'm excited to uh, to to discuss the two together here with this with this group. Absolutely, um, Brian. Not sure if you mentioned your present position with the Linux. I package. did not actually, because uh, you know, also this organization I'm at today has a big footprint in the AI and ML space. So today I'm with uh, the Linux Foundation. I oversee our developer relations and ecosystem development, and of note within that is the LFAI and Data Foundation, which houses a number of, of impactful um, um, products in this space, projects, excuse me. Thank you. I just thought the folks at LF would welcome that. Well, appreciate it, thank you. Them. Yep. All right, so the topic for today's uh, DevOps Unbound is artificial intelligence and machine learning, you know, how can they help improve performance of DevOps teams? In other words, what's their role in the DevOps world, right? And, and let me preface our conversation by giving you sort of my view of it. DevOps for many people was all about automation. What can we automate? Let's automate everything we can. Automate, automate, automate. And obviously in, in discussions around automation, Topics such as artificial intelligence and machine learning would tend, you would tend to think, help 
with automation. And therefore, anything that helps with automation is good for DevOps. And, and I should also say that we lump AI and ML together like they're Siamese twins joined at the hip, and they're not necessarily co-joined. You can have AI without ML, and you can have ML without AI. I, is a, and at least I think so. I'm, I'd be interested in your thoughts. But has it lived up to the hype? Will it ever live up to the hype? Was the hype unfounded? Was it unrealistic? How, what role has AI and or ML to this point played on DevOps and what role will it play going forward? I think that's our topic today. I mean, any one of you, if you want to kick it off with your own feelings or respond, go right ahead. Well, uh, I, I'd, I'd like to jump in as a troublemaker early on and say okay. I, I challenge Alan that DevOps is really about automation is kind of the basis for the tie-in, right? If we look at it, DevOps is really a set of cultural practices and tenets that align DevOps and other software delivery stakeholders around the shared objective of delivering quality software reliably, rapidly, and repeatedly. Now, the reliably, rapidly, and repeatedly component absolutely lends itself to some of the benefits that we could uh, a mine from AI. But I actually think it's a great opportunity if we don't say AI, DevOps equals automation equals AI, but rather we say DevOps equals uh, a, a culture aligned around a shared objective and how can AI and ML help support those shared objectives? So I, th I think you make a, a great point, uh, Brian. I think one of the most important issues, and you mentioned culture, um, we have been, you know, for what, 50 years through this uh, development and operations uh, perspective on how we get things done. What, and the, the promise of AI is, okay, I can push a button and it will take care of everything. And, and th this promise has been there for what, you know, 20 years. The reality is it's just not that simple. There are definitely things that we are doing today and we're, we're seeing evolve that is definitely helping the developers and the operational um, uh, professionals. For example, if you have repeatable functions that, that happen all the time, that for example, you know, if you press a button and, and a certain task should happen, you can probably use a model and collecting massive amounts of data to do that automatically. And that's a very good use of AI and, and will work today. Um, they call it ML ops or AI ops. And, and there's a good reason why that's what we're focused on today is because you're looking for predictable patterns and predictable anomalies so you can avoid making you know, stupid mistakes that, oh my God, why did I do that? I knew what the right answer was. Right. But, but AI is not a panacea. And I, th I think if we look back even you know, two or three years ago, you had companies that, that all were saying, okay, we, we have automated, we've put AI into DevOps and all you have to do is Press button and and all of your problems are over. That's just not reality. You know, yeah. the, there's the there's the marketing AI and ML, and then there's real AI and ML. 
Marketing, marketing meaning everybody gloms on to the term and uses it, meaning it's a, a case statement, right? Or an if statement in people's logic and their, in their software. Yeah, I, I, I started doing some work in AI in the 80s and 90s programming and Lisp and Prolog and doing some education, uh, corporate education in that area, some expert systems with triage, things like that. So dabbled in a little bit there. And then I was exposed to more recently, about five, six years ago, uh, worked with a gentleman named Dr. Bernardo Huberman, who's one of the experts in the field. And, and I asked him, help me understand why is machine learning taken off as this, you know, sort of, he described it as a subset of AI. So you can, you know, that was his model anyway. And the way, the, what he told me really made sense. And it kind of helps me understand where can we apply machine learning? And that's that being kind of the most popular part of AI. And he said, he said, Machine learning takes massive amounts of data. And the fact that we have the cloud and all these applications creating data, a lot of a data exhaust. Now people are going back and mining that data. So we have this whole, you know, Judith, and you're in your writing in your books about data analysis and leading up to up to AI. Machine learning is great for that because you can have supervised or unsupervised algorithms. Supervised meaning that's a cat, that's a cat, that's not a cat, or um, unsupervised, which is just going to pour through the data and start to look for those patterns and trends and anomalies that you were talking about, Judith. So when people talk about using AI or ML in in our industry, I always think about well, where are there where's there lots of data and can we leverage it in some impactful way? So as I look at products or technologies that claim they're doing that, that's at least one sort of criteria to try to ferret out. Is there really some, is it real there? Is there something real there, or is it you know, more spin and fluff to, to help us, you know, we all have a case statements in our, in our software, right? Absolutely. Um, actually, Brian, I looked like you were going to say something. I didn't want to jump on you. Oh, Alan, uh, I mean, of course I have a lot to say, but nothing in particular. I just, <clears throat> since I'm off mute, I'll say, I, I, I absolutely agree with Mitch and, and Judith and uh and underscore the points that they made yep you know what i want to take a moment though and explore brian you disagree devops isn't about automation and i i get the whole cultural aspects of devops and and all of that but certainly automating as a way to be more efficient to get more done faster i think is is part and parcel of the devops mindset yeah and if i may you know without waiting to see where you wanted to go with that i'd say no it it is absolutely important but there's a line jazz humble uh would use in talking about about cd and frankly i think the book that dave farley jazz humble and team wrote around continuous delivery is under celebrated and under referenced um and in talking about that one of the things he said is you know, continuous delivery, and I'm going to say by extension, some aspects of DevOps, um, don't require any tools. I can do continuous delivery with a bash script. Catch is, is it's not the most efficient, right? In pursuit of, of effective collaboration, of delivery velocity, so you can iterate. And as we've talked about in this past, establish that control feedback loop that requires things like automation to achieve those goals, right? I just think sometimes when we talk about what we see going on with AI and ML, 
And, and, and those terms, we overload a principle or practice um, with expectations that aren't core to it, right? And, and, and I worry a bit about that, so I want to call it out. And sorry, Alan, I don't, I don't know if that's where you wanted to go with the commentary. But. No, no, no. I, I want to go wherever you want to go, Brian. Okay. This is <laughs> a collective, a collective. Judith, so, what about, so, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, yeah, so, so Alan, I think, uh, I think one of the key issues is, how, you know, how, how, you know, the whole area of continuous delivery. In, in, you know, previous generations, you would build an application and it would live pretty much as it was written, could be for, for 10 years. Um, today, you know, ap applications are constantly having to be revised because, because customers change, uh, partners change, the sources of data change. So if it, un, unless you have the ability to constantly update and change and modify, you lose out. One of the values of using um, automation and using AI and machine learning models with lots of data is to support the ability to do this. You don't have enough hands and enough brains to anticipate where problems may occur because you've changed things. How many times have we seen problems uh, occur because somebody has added uh, a new service to, to their environment and somebody forgot to change a configuration file? Now that's not something that you need a, a massive brain to be able to do, but people get busy and they forget to do simple things. I think, Judith, that's really a good point because I wanted to ask you about this in the software creation process. Given things are so dynamic now and constantly changing, you know, understanding just the environment, the, the infrastructure is code all the way up through the application and how much all of that is changing. It, it seems like the stepping in for humans in certain conditions in that environment is a, is a great application of AI, right? For someone to synthesize all the factors that might go into where a problem exists or what might be causing a problem seems to be where some of those algorithms might be helpful. Is, do you agree with that? Has that been your yeah. experience yeah. of what people are um, thinking about for AI? Yeah, de definitely. I think what, what we're seeing is um, this is where sort of the human factor comes in. You, you set it up so that if the printer is turned off, don't send me an alarm, fast, emergency. The printer, there's a problem with the printer. We, we all have gotten used to that. But when, when there are problems that you've never seen before, that the model that you don't have data on and the model doesn't take into account, then the, the, um, the AI ops or ML ops then, then gives you a message. There's something strange going on. I don't know how to fix it. Um, what do you want to do here? And so over time, when that appears again, well, now you had data. Well, this occurred once before. Maybe it was anomaly twice. But then when, when you have enough data and enough experience over time, then you build that into the model. So the next time that occurs, you make a fix. On the other hand, you don't want the system to say, oh, I know what that is, make a fix. When it turns out, 
no, 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 you don't, you don't understand the context um, uh, of, of what's going on here. And just because there's a correlation doesn't mean that there's, you know, a, a cause for that. It's good to point out because it's not always about automating a response to it, right? I know in the security world, we're very right. cautious or skeptical about those things uh, happening, blocking, you know, legitimate traffic and financial world. That's a huge issue and you know, we run into. So you, you point out a good scenario, whereas we see repetitive patterns over time and that can help machine learning algorithms now understand, okay, that's what that pattern looks like. So you can identify what it is next time instead of it's just an anomaly. Yeah, it, it, it's it's interesting, Mitch, that you say that and going back to the original, you know, the kind of the, the, the starting topic about uh, AI and ML not really achieving its 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 promise yet. And as you called out, getting data is an issue. It's not what it's not necessarily applicable to every space. You need a level of determinism and predictable patterns that you can learn from and build on. And, and I have for a long time been excited that when we look at CI and CD, when we look at, at Alan, the automation, automated workflow of software development and delivery, or even if it's not automated, kind of the standard, there's a couple of things that you do have. You're, you're doing builds sometimes thousands of times a day, builds and deployment, getting that out into prop. You're, you could be generating a ton of data. It's also in its nature, you're striving to achieve um, a level of consistency and repeatability in how you deliver software. Um, so I, I, you know, and, and I'll say I'm not an expert to the level some of the people on this on this episode are, but but I get at a very um, sort of top level, get really excited about the opportunity for AI and ML to help better CI and CD and align with the, the principles of DevOps, what I see it really helping with is uh, reducing cognitive load so developers can focus on, on, on coding, innovating, and solving problems while helping ensure that quality and stability um, that's difficult to maintain while you're, while, while you're moving fast. Uh, so I um, just thought I'd called out and I, 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 I am curious to see when vendors and others really start to uh, uh, do like what our friend Kosuke has done with Launchable, right? And really apply AI and ML to the left-hand side or dev side of the process to reduce the load, ensure quality and stability. Guys, we're all lumping AI and ML, AI and ML, AI and ML. Does it have to be AI and ML? Isn't it, in my experience, a lot of what we call AI and ML is a lot more on the ML than it is on the AI, right? So is it fair to call it truly AI or is it really ML? And, and maybe ML is for today and AI is a tomorrow thing. I, I don't know. So, so I, I, I think there, there's definitely uh, a problem of nomenclature here. Um, what we're really dealing with primarily now is, is models and modeling data and creating models from data. That's the reality of today. I think that there is a lot of misuse of the term AI. And there have been some absolutely wild 
predictions. Uh, I can't remember the name of the computer scientist who predicted that he would be able to replicate the human brain. With Marvin Minsky. Uh, no, this was past Minsky. Oh, but, was it after? Okay. Yeah, no, I mean, this was like in the last five years. Oh, okay. Um, so, so you know, over time, as you know, you're you're always going to be dealing with models. That's that's you know, you're never going to get rid of the models. AI um, is sort of the next. You know, models are a subset of of what you eventually achieve with AI. But but AI is is really a concept that that will probably take decades uh, to evolve. And I think one of the problems we have right now is is where you have vendors and and uh, I've talked to you know hundreds of them uh, over the years where they say we have an AI application and they don't you know it's because it's a hot buzzword and you can look back and in the history over the last you know thirty to forty. Uh, years and see whatever the hot topic is, all of the vendors say we do that. So I, I think that that's one of the, the problems that, that businesses are facing right now. What is the difference? What does it really do? How does it make your company better? How do you use, use this technology to be prepared for change? I think, that, I think that's a good way to break it down, Judith, too, because you know, early days of AI were about emulating human thinking. You know, we're, we're still long from, from, I'm not sure, you know, all my, our, all my intelligence is artificial, by the way, I acquired all of it. I don't <laughs> think I was born with any of it, but um, you know, that, that was kind of where it started. And then AI became about expert systems largely. And then machine algorithms, algorithm, algorithmic learning, machine learning algorithms, is, was really where I think most of the activity is today because of that prevalence of data. It, it seems like most organizations are faced with sort of one of three strategies. Do we, what do we look for in our, from our vendors and how they may use AI in a meaningful way or machine learning in a meaningful way that's going to help my business? Do I um, build models myself, right, from the data like you were talking about, Judith, to, to, to apply to, to like a financial analysis kind of uh, situation, more of an expert system? Or do I use machine learning algorithms in my own software to do interesting, things, valuable things that my software can do? And maybe you play in all three of those or, or a subset of those, but that, that seems to be the question I think most individuals or organizations are, are at. Like we're not at a place where we can go build models, but we're looking for these capabilities either in our own code or in third-party products. So, so I heard an interesting story from, from one of my clients a few years ago, maybe five years ago. Um, he had a client that, that was very gung-ho about AI. So he went out and he hired five data scientists, you know, uh, paid them a million dollars each, put the, gave them their own space and, and left them alone. These are the smartest people on the planet. Came back in six months, didn't want to bother them. They're so smart. All right, what have you found out? What, where, you know, have you written this, this application? And they said, well, we've been discussing this for, for six months and we have determined what algorithm we're going to use. The point is that they worked in isolation. They thought they were the smartest people on the planet. 
They did not talk to people on the business side about what business problems they had. They didn't talk to the people who understand corporate data. They didn't ask them, what data do you, do you actually have? What data do you need? They didn't talk about to, to people who knew the business strategy or the business processes that were in place or needed to change. So it really is a team sport. And, and I like the uh, Brian's discussion at the beginning about culture because, because it really is about sort of hybrid organizations where you have people, you, you have leaders that know a little bit about all of these areas and then a team that's brought together that, that can work across these areas. Fair. Judith, can I, can I ask, um, do you have any recommendations for DevOps teams on, on how do we evaluate or investigate where, where, where ML is a solution? And I ask this based on observation, we'll see if we agree, that oftentimes as we, people are looking for a problem to apply the solution to, as opposed to looking for ML as a solution to a problem they've identified. And just curious. Yes, you, I, I violently agree with you. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. so, so I think in uh, a lot of times people get so enamored with a new technology that uh, they, they look at it as, as a way to solve all problems. Okay. And for a DevOps team, I think we're finally getting to the stage where, where there's really reality in DevOps. It's not the developers who are saying, that's not my problems. The operations people have to make this work. There's really beginning to be this collaboration between development and operations. And this shift left is, is definitely becoming real. So, so that's definitely true. But, but for these teams to be successful, they have to have a holistic view of what are, you know, where is your business going? What do they actually need? Why, why have they come to you and say, we got to do something? Is it just because it would be cool to do something and spend money? Or is there a real rationale behind this that, that, that they need from what's the pain that's out there that they can solve? So they, they have to start with that. They have to start not only collaborating between developers and operation and the operations team, but with the business leaders, with the people who understand all of the data, people who understand uh, security. Um, so all of this comes together in very much a holistic pattern. Fair, fair. Hey guys, we're way past halfway through here and I, I wanted to kind of turn our conversation to the future. Right, we've had a discussion on sort of the history of AI and ML and lessons learned, etc. But when we look forward, Brian, you mentioned the uh, the, the Linux Foundation has a uh, I don't know if it's a daughter foundation or a subgroup dedicated to AI and and like technologies. You know, what do we see when we look sort of near term future? Forget, yes, one day you know, we'll mimic human brain patterns. Who knows if we'll be alive by then. But near term, 
What what do you see? What is Linux Foundation planning for? Well, so I looking forward. I I and it's funny because you brought me in and I started to think about dream the impossible dream of what's going <laughs> to happen in the future. Um, I will call out and we'll mention again. I, I, I said at the start that the Linux Foundation is a parent foundation of what we call a Linux Foundation open source project that hosts other projects. So LFAI and data, you know, you could call it a sub foundation of Linux Foundation because they host, I believe at this point, 12 graduated projects with about 20 to 30 product projects in incubation. So we're talking, you know, 30 to 50 projects under the LFAI and data umbrella um, that that are all working on various aspects of, of uh, shared efforts, right? Multiple large commercial organizations, as well as standards bodies coming together to, to drive the future of, uh, of AI and ML. What, what I do see coming out of, out of LFAI and data uh, foundation in the short term is standards, and foundational implementations, i.e. moving sort of uh, beyond the, the, the sort of rudimentary um, um, discovery around AI, building sort of packaged or gray box implementations that everybody agrees and collaborates on, which I think will help unlock the, the less initiated, less um, 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 expert vendors to begin to deliver um, um, truly AI-based differentiating capabilities. So, you know, to put that in short, because it was a lot of words, is I think it's about establishing a foundation for us to start to build on and accelerate our progress within uh, the AI um, and data space applied to, to DevOps. And so, Brian, I, I think that you are 100% right. And that's when when commercialization really happens is when we have those standards and when everybody agrees to use those foundational services. I think the challenges that we face are how do you get the commercial vendors who, who don't necessarily want to, they, they want to give lip service to, to these standards, but they really want you to only use their version of the quote unquote standard so, so that customers never leave. So it's that stickiness factor that they are looking for. So it's, it, I, I think it's, it's a hard journey. Yeah, well, I think Judith, you actually nailed the reason the Linux Foundation exists, frankly. And if we look at Kubernetes as a model, it was hard pressed. Google could have easily said, we're not going to hand this over to the Linux Foundation. We're going to dominate this space. We are going to be the modern cloud OS. But they understood for it to gain traction, for it to, to grow and truly offer benefit industry-wide, they had to hand it over to the Linux Foundation to grow, manage. They had to bring in Microsoft. They had to bring in Amazon to play in that space. And I see LFAI and data serving that same role, right? And what I tend to call in some language, unlocking innovation, or as our, our, our tagline is, 
um, uh, decentralized innovation, right? And I would I would beg to say that that is we didn't call that out, but directly, but that's one of the challenges that we're seeing in the AI and data space, right? If there's not short-term monetization, we're not going to do it, and if there is, then we want to own it. So can we create an um, uh, impartial playing field for everybody to come in and innovate together and then build commercial solutions off of that? Yeah, it's it's the challenge. It, it, it really is. And I think uh, Kubernetes is a great example. Um, I think data in some ways is more complicated with, because data is really the crown. Yes. Yeah, well, I know everybody wants to own it. Everybody wants to own the data. No doubt about it. There's also um, there's discussion about AI need to, AI needs to become an engineering discipline mm. as opposed to a you know sort of this sort of edge specialty. It doesn't mean that necessarily it's going to be applying everywhere, but I think how we apply uh, DevOps or I'm sorry AI to certain kinds of problems and it it's, it seems to me the two most ripe areas are are that highly complex environment. So as more and more infrastructure is automated, more things are gone to digital, right? How do you manage the infrastructure or manage the, the triage problem solving? And then of course, I think that the other areas, people will find niche areas, continue to find niche areas where AI can be applied uh, to gain competitive advantage in a certain you know, domain or space. Um, and it seems like that's the trajectory we're on for quite a while. I'm not, I don't think, you know, it's ever going to be AI takes over everything and it's the thing that replaces DevOps or whatever, but it you seems to me what, kind of a tool, yeah. but sorry, go ahead, Judith. No, what, what I was going to say is very interesting. If you look at healthcare, for example, you know, if you look at the spectrum from, I can automate certain uh, DevOps functions that are repeatable where I can identify patterns and as I collect more data, I can automate more things. You have something like healthcare, which in terms of orders of magnitude of complexity are just, you know, huge. And what I'm seeing is, is a lot of the vendors who think that I'm going to, you know, tackle healthcare with AI and we're going to own the industry. A lot of them are getting out of the business because it's right now, it's just too hard and it will be too hard for quite a while. It's true of the medical industry in many ways. Right? <laughs> it's a hard, hard nut to crack. Yeah. If I, if I may start to dream a little and chime in based on, on something uh, you said, Mitch, I, I, I do see that um, in the near term, we, we are at a point where we talk about modern software development and delivery, the rapid pace at we're which we're delivering change. We're building on, on inventions and progress made over decades. Um, um, library reuse is, is, is really heavy. And we're, we're, we are you know, getting to a point where as we build more complex systems, we have to figure out how can we outsource um, sort of maintenance and management, for want of a better word, to use it kind of grossly, um, to solutions like ML. How can ML help us continue to improve, grow, and build on what we've done, but manage the scale and complexity? And 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 I I, I think well, you know, we'll move from some standardization, foundational blocks, 
will will apply more ML in both the operations and development space to help manage that complexity to maintain stability. Um, but but then I also eventually see the next stage being now how do we um, you know apply ML and surface it to a developer at the time of a, co a commit. Here's what the expected outcome of this change is to help provide guardrails to the developer, the end state, or I wouldn't even say the end state. I think we'd agree existentially, there's never an end state here, um, is that we're at a point where we don't even have explicit CI CD pipelines, right? We can commit code to a repository. The language can be inferred. We can give cues or signals to infer where we want it deployed, how we want it deployed. And I actually see ML and to an extent layers of AI just figuring out what to do with code at rest. So if you flash forward in 10 years and we're truly applying these technologies at scale in the cloud, eh, I just change a line of code. That change automatically is delivered to production and AI ML, ML is helping us do that. So that, that that's sort of my dream. Um, I don't hit compile. I don't hit build. I don't build out stages and workflows. I just change code, and that's running in a system. Somewhere. So, so don't you also want to have the ability to say before you say, you know, uh, you look at what's happening, and don't you want to sort of at least at this stage say, are you sure you want to do that? You know, are you sure you want to delete yes. that file? So until we get to the point because you have to be able to trust that the system is smart enough to understand if I make this change, what cause will that unleash? Um, because yeah. we're, we're not dealing with a perfect world in DevOps right. by a long shot. Yeah, I, I do want that. I want protection. I want it to, to, to know where the, where the vulnerabilities are and warm me. And I do think, Judith, that would pre, be a prerequisite into this deploying code at rest, right? Or truly applying uh, dev AI. Fair enough. Hey guys, we are just about out of time. I think this was a great discussion. If there's one thing I could take out of it though, is that, you know, the, the crystal ball remains cloudy in terms of how this is all gonna play out. And we're gonna have to wait for it to kind of you know, come into focus uh, as we, but it certainly will be an important part of, of software development, of operations going forward. And it's going to an increasingly important part. I think but the crystal ball is in magic eight ball. Ask again later. <laughs> right, ask again. Well, that's a good, good one, Mitch. Um, but for now, we're going to, we're going to, uh, call an end to this episode of DevOps Unbound. Again, thanks very much to Tricentis for their sponsorship. Thank you so much, Judith. Thank you so much, Brian, for appearing here, and I uh, we'll hope to see you on a future episode. Mitch, as always, great job riding shotgun with me. Good to partner with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. But this is it for uh, this episode of DevOps Unbound. This is Alan Schimmel. Have a great day, and we hope to see you soon on another DevOps Unbound. As well as, don't forget, every month we do a live roundtable open to you, our audience, with questions. So stay tuned for that as well. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.